I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Horrific scenes of a mob lynching of Pelu Khan, a 50-year-old dairy farmer from Rajasthan, just north of New Delhi, caught on camera and uploaded to the internet by those accused of murdering him. His six attackers were filmed, beating him to death whilst he pleaded for mercy. Last week, they were acquitted of murder on a technicality. The video had apparently not met the standards of forensic evidence. This was despite countless witnesses, two of whom were his sons, also beaten, and despite one of the assailants admitting to the murder to an undercover reporter. Around 50 have been lynched in the last three years alone by the so-called cow vigilantes, and hundreds have been injured. This is the state of India, home to 200 million Muslims, some 14% of the population. This is Muhammad Jalal, and this week I'm going to speak to Fazal Hejazi, an Indian-based academic in Islamic sciences currently pursuing his doctoral studies in the energy economies of the Arab world. Fazal has extensively travelled across India, and he is also a regular visitor to Kashmir. In this second part podcast, more than two weeks since the Indian government's actions in Kashmir, I want to explore the doctrine that underpins Modi's India, known as Hindutva, and its impact upon the country's Muslims. It is oft forgotten that after partition in 1947, Pakistan became home to just a portion of India's Muslims. Those that were left behind have been subject to state and structural disadvantage, never more so than under the Hindu nationalism of Modi's tenure. Indian politics has since partition been dominated by the Congress Party, 
the party of its founder Nehru. This one-party domination collapsed in 98 for a brief period when the Hindu nationalist BJP came to office and it seemed, for a while at least, that the new two-party system would replace the monopoly of Congress. When the BJP lost power in 2004 and Congress returned to dominate Indian politics for a decade, such views seemed premature. However, in 2014, under Narendra Modi, the BJP returned and today dominates the Indian political landscape, winning a landslide victory in April. This is in no small part down to both the Obama and Trump administrations barely hiding their support for Modi. For the Americans, the BJP government is ready to side with it in order to encircle its new opponent, China. This is why, despite his obvious power grab in Kashmir, Modi is fated around the world, moving from the UAE to the G7 summit in France, posing with the so-called great powers. Not only does this embolden Modi at home, it sends the clear signal that whatever happens in Kashmir in terms of state repression, imprisonment, disappearances and worse, is unimportant to powers that profess liberty for all. Fazal Hijazi, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Akhi Jalal, jazakumullah khair al jazak for organizing this much needed discussion about Kashmir, which today goes through a crisis, a very unique crisis, an unforeseen reality which probably the Ummah went through only at the time of independence of India from the British in the 1940s. So if I may start by asking you about uh, uh, the, the doctrine, I suppose, that underpins Modi's rise to power, and that is Hindutva. What is Hindutva and, and uh, what is its impact uh, on uh, the Muslims in India? Um, so, Akhi Jalal, Jazakumullah Khair for this uh, question. And uh, um, I, think, I think this is uh, very relevant um, in, uh, in the current scenario that's taking place in India. Um, and uh, for many many people, the, the idea of Hindutva um, remains still um, ambiguous. And Hindutva is um, is an ideology, um, and it in principle states that India is the homeland of the Hindus. Um, now, according to believers uh, of uh, other faiths, um, they can they can live in India, but only at the sufferance of Hindus. Um, this is how you can explain what Hindutva is. Um, obviously, Hindutva start, uh, emanates from uh, from uh, from cultural aspirations, but it has uh, over the years uh, had a political impact, uh, and uh, with, with the BJP in part, which is effectively the political wing of the RSS, uh, uh, the 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 what we can say as the fountainhead of the idea of hindutva um so they are they are able to through bjp implement a lot of those ideas that they so far only had in in theory um and one of those ideas uh, is what we are at the moment uh, hearing very much about in the news uh, and that is the scraping of the article 370 uh, and making the annexation uh, or the accession to Kashmir a permanent 
accession, uh, thereby making uh, Kashmir a part of uh, India officially. And, and just for the listeners, who are the RSS? Um, the the RSS uh, is uh, what is known as in Hindi the Rashtriya uh, Siamvek um, uh, Siam Sevak Sang, uh, and um, it's an in Indian right wing Hindu nationalist uh, paramilitary organization. It comes across as a volunteer group, um, but uh, it is. Uh, uh, it, and it is w- what I would want to mention, and that is what I meant, uh, was saying uh, in answer to the previous question, that they are the parent organization to the ruling party of India, uh, the Bharatiya Janata Party, the BJP. Now, the BJP are a fairly recent phenomenon in uh, Indian politics, uh, but of course the RSS predates uh, the BJP. Uh, can you give us a little bit about the history of the RSS? Um, when did it come about and um, uh, what were its main influences? The, the, the RSS um, has been in place or has been there for at least uh, uh, at least 90 years. It was originally founded in uh, 1925, that is 93 years ago. Um, and their vision is about forming a Hindu nation. They call it a Hindu Rashtra. Um, and uh, they believe in upholding uh, the ideals of uh, the, the, the Indian culture the, uh, and spreading the ideology of Hindutva to, uh, and to strengthen the Hindu community. Um, and a lot of the inspiration uh, they took uh, came from European right-wing groups uh, during the World War II. Um, initially, they were not that strong, but uh, they, were, they, played a, they played an influential role um, during the uh, during the early years, um, pre-independence and post-independence, so we're talking about the 1940s and later on. Um, some say that uh, they even had a hand in, um, or at least they had uh, influence uh, in uh, assassinating uh, Gandhi. And um, so they've been banned over the past, uh, you know, years. Uh, several times they've been banned. Uh, the last they were banned uh, was a, was in 1992. Uh, that was after the demolition of the Babri Masjid, and they had a direct role in uh, demolishing the Babri Masjid. Um, it, it doesn't really openly come across as a as a militant para- paramilitary organization. Comes across as a volunteer organization, um, and uh, that is what has allowed uh, them to spread across the country um, and take. Uh, uh, you know, uh, build uh, institutions and foundations, and so they've got different uh, sorts of activities uh, that they they undertake, um, so as to build connections and uh, win supporters uh, to their uh, to their cause, um, and uh, led them to build uh, you know uh, strong influences across the country. Now, um, a way to be able to uh, you know and to assess. Um, you know their influence is what well, is by assessing the number of shakhas that they run. The shakha um, is 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 like a morning uh, halakha um, that takes place. It's a, it's a it's a daily morning training that takes place um, early in the morning, and um, and uh, so the assessment uh, the, the, there's an assessment that was done that. Pre, uh, pr- prior to BJP coming into power, um, they had uh, substantially 
low number of shakas taking place. So shaka is basically where, where people from the community are attending their morning training sessions, which is all sorts of training, including uh, including military training. Uh, um, and what has happened is after after the BJP came into power, uh, the the number of shakas has gone up uh, significantly. So the the last assessment that they did uh, uh, in uh, that was in 2016. They mentioned that they had close to 57,000 shakas happening in the every day in the morning, um, and that is that is quite a significant number. That is people who are dedicated to the cause, they're training with them, you know, studying with them, um, working with them. Uh, so this is how you can make an assessment of how, how influential they are. And, and tell me, does Modi, is Modi a, a politician who's committed to the ideology of Hindutva and the RSS, uh, or is he uh, an opportunist politician that's playing to the right wing in order to win elections? Um, so M Modi, um, uh, to be able to understand Modi, uh, you have to go back in, in, into his uh, a, battle, a, a bit about his into his background. Um, Modi, even though he's a member of the Bharatiya Janata Party, but also uh, is a member of the RSS. Um, I think it would be significant to mention that Modi uh, was um, actually from early on, from uh, from his initial years. Um, Right after he uh, finished schooling, um, he uh, associated himself uh, to the RSS and he worked with the RSS for several decades um, uh, before he went on to becoming a, a full-time politician. Um, and generally the system is that people are uh, almost graduated into becoming politicians from the RSS. So those who have the right uh, caliber and have the right competencies are pushed into the political wing of the RSS. Um, so uh, a lot of the members right now in the BJP are uh, are direct members of the RSS. Um, and uh, in fact, the general secretaries of the uh, of the BJP all come from the RSS. That is uh, unsaid rule. Uh, so. Uh, they are all coming from the RSS. Now, the thing is, uh, Modi uh, very much holds on to uh, the ideas of RSS. And even though uh, he may sound, uh, he may not openly come out with his ideas in public, uh, but his silence uh, on many of the incidents that have taken place clearly uh, show where his um, inclinations and where his... Uh, uh, heart lies, and so if you've seen what happened in uh, back in uh, the early 2000s and 2001, uh, the Gujarat carnage that took place, it took place uh, at the hands of Modi, and there were over 2,000 people uh, killed in in broad daylight, uh, and um, you find Modi not even uh, making one statement about that. Yes, um, despite all the uh, all the attempts to take him to court and uh, the uh, the global uh, outrage uh, and Modi uh, Modi stood by uh, or, you know by his position and um, there were enough uh, there was enough um, uh, there was enough evidence to prove that it was him and uh, the current Home Minister Amit Shah 
behind all of this. In effect, one of the reasons why he is in power and continues to be uh, beloved by the, uh, the Hindu nationalists primarily uh, is because of these credentials of his, that is, his credential as, as, uh, as someone who is able to subtly give uh, a payback to the Muslims. So what, what do you mean by payback? Remember, one of the, one of the ideas that currently is taking place um, in, in, in India um, and uh, which is um, I'm, I'm primarily among the Hindus is that they, they have a fear. This is what is propagated among them, and that they have a fear. They're, they're made to fear from Muslims, um, and they're, they're they're told that the Muslims over the several centuries of their rule have taken away your rights, and this is your time to take back your rights. And this is your country. The Muslims were invaders primarily. They came from the Central Asian countries, and therefore it's time that you take back from them what rightfully rightfully belongs to you and so they see that modi is actually showing muslims their place and uh, he's doing it subtly he's doing it quietly but he's doing it in, in an uh, in a way that is leaving a massive impact and so what is happening is um, the the nationalists for the, for them the hindu nationalists primarily for them uh, this is uh, this is the kind of leader they want they want someone um, who can who can actually uh, be able to fulfill their their dreams of a, of a Hindu nation uh, while uh, trying to show himself as he's committed to the the principles of uh, secularism um, and uh, by towing the constitutional line. And so, for them, when uh, Modi comes into power and and he talks about the Babri Masjid, uh, rebuilding the temple at the, at, the, uh, at the location of the Babri Masjid or removing the Article 370. Uh, this is all about payback. This is about uh, uh, showing the Muslims their place. And so what is really their aim in other words, and that's what I wanted to say in the beginning, uh, their vision is that anyone else other than Hindus should be living under our, uh, under us and uh, under our system, under the Hindu system, uh, under our sufferance, in other words. And this is what uh, they are doing. They're effectively uh, rebuilding uh, or recarving the Muslim identity and they're, they're making them effectively second-class citizens. Now, that's very interesting. Um, what form does this marginalization take? I must say, when, when, when we talk about marginalization and and making the Muslims as second-class citizens. It's not, uh, it's not something that started with Modi. Um, uh, you have to appreciate that this has been going on for, uh, for several decades. Um, it's just that we've tried to remain uh, blindfolded to it, um, despite the fact that there were enough signs that this was happening. The fact that Muslims um, are not given uh, jobs in government, government offices, they're not given ample or equal opportunities for, of, for education uh, or business uh, or even in, in, in politics, this uh, in itself is a proof that the Muslims over the years have been de deliberately, as a, as a part of a system, they have been uh, they, 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 they have been marginalized. And I must mention, so the Muslims, for example, in, in government offices, 
uh, they are they're not given uh, it is not easy for a muslim to get a job in government offices so uh, very limited muslims uh, are really taken into the uh, into the uh, bureaucratic services uh, despite many muslims excelling in them so there are a number of muslims who excel but um, until um, until uh, two years ago if i'm not wrong uh, the the system was set up in a way that gave a lot of uh, arbitrary powers to the uh, examiners uh, to be able to um, you know uh, select only those who they wanted um, this was through the interview system that they had for the Indian administrative system examinations. You paint a picture of uh, Muslims uh, marginalized and uh, uh, removed from uh, influence in, in India. Uh, but of course, in recent years, uh, that um, marginalization uh, has been more than just um, uh, in jobs and uh, in, as you said, the public services and education. Uh, we've seen uh, a steady growth in mob violence against uh, Muslims. So I, I think that was something that is something that was not taking uh, place so far, um, uh, and and that is what I would say as a as a very is a very new uh, development that has uh, started taking uh, place, um, which includes uh, mob lynching um, and. Uh, and, and mob justice, basically. Um, and um, I must say that this is obviously enough science to see that this is emanating uh, all the way from the parliament itself. There are enough science that this is, even though not uh, being said openly, but the very justification is coming from the fact that you have people who are committed, uh, militant, firebrand, Hindutva leaders who have been accused of terrorism and carnage, and they are being given uh, seats uh, mem- mem- seats in the in the parliament. That is, they are appointed as members of parliament, uh, and there's not one, two, or three. There's multiple uh, members who are there. There, there's few names which are there on my mind, uh, like Sarangi. There is uh, Sadhvi Pragya. These are people who, like Sadhvi Pragya, was just released a couple of uh, weeks uh, before the elections and she was in prison if i'm not wrong for over a decade and um there, there she is the moment she comes out of the prison she is given uh, a ticket to the elections and uh, she wins uh, with uh, with a majority and um with a landslide majority and uh, she's given a seat there and so uh, the moment she's uh, there and she's making all sorts of statements and uh, you um, you realize that um, there is uh, there is absolutely um, there's absolute silence from the from the from the courts from the from the from the party itself. The only voices really are some uh, segments of what they call as civil society, uh, which includes certain newspapers and certain uh, you know parties. Uh, otherwise, everyone else is uh, is almost has been um, has been quietened or, or has been made to shut up and uh, that is why that is that is another of those aspects what the Indi- what the bjp has done that it has almost arrested all sorts of discontent um all all m- most of the uh, most of the leftist uh, writers and leaders have been arrested uh, or at least have been given uh, you know have been intimidated into uh, being silent so 
don't find a lot of these people uh, writing anymore, even though uh, a while back uh, when we talk about during the Congress era, they were there and they were writing and they were talking. Um, so what has happened is there is a systematic uh, you know, uh, mechanism they've used to make sure that there is no discontent uh, that appears in public. Um, so you know, going back to the Muslims, uh, when we were talking about the, we were talking about the mob violence issue, and so what has happened is that people have realized that we've not we're now in majority, um, and the the system uh, is effectively in our hands. Can you explain what you mean by the system? And so when I say the system, I mean the members of the parliament, the members of the legislative assembly, um, and members of bureaucracy. So remember, the RSS does not just has influence at, at a political level alone. The RSS has worked for decades, and they have been able to build influence among among the uh, among the bureaucrats as well. Uh, and a, a large section of the bureaucrats uh, clearly have uh, right wing leanings. And we're talking about uh, the bureaucrats in uh, within the straight, uh, district administrations, within the police, uh, within uh, the judiciary. And so you find what is happening is that uh, they, they, these people on the ground, when they find a certain issue which they think does not go in line with their ideas or their views, for example, if somebody is, uh, you know, somebody is transporting uh, the cows, for example, uh, then uh, for them, uh, they see it absolutely fine uh, that they could um, they could um, possibly arrest this person, um, you know, uh, harm him, uh, be violent towards him, you know, or even kill him, uh, and uh, they know that they they would get away with it. Um, this is what effectively happened with. Uh, with uh, a case that took place a couple of months ago uh, in uh, the state of Rajasthan, uh, which was about Pahlu Khan, and uh, Pahlu Khan was arrested, and there was videos. Uh, there was there was a video that was even made uh, about uh, while he was being, you know, while he was being, while he was going through the, that torturous ordeal, and um, which which eventually was fatal for him. And may Allah uh, have mercy on him. Um, and uh, and what happened was the the the, the six people who were accused uh, who were there in the video uh, were ac- acquitted. The court simply refused to accept uh, the video uh, as as uh, uh, you know as an evidence. And and it, what is surprising is that this video was not made by um, a civilian, but it was made by the police uh, themselves. There was a policeman that ha- happened to go through that uh, place at that particular time, and he made that video. And so. Uh, he did. Uh, uh, he he did uh, present himself to the courts, but they, but they uh, they refused to accept that as a testimony, um, citing all sorts of uh, excuses. Uh, and here they are; they are acquitted, and they're out in the uh, out back in the society. So the thing is, um, um, this is uh, and see. Remember, this is not just about um, you know Muslims doing things which are hurting non-Muslims due to which they are taking these actions, undertaking these actions. It's not like that. Uh, there, there is absolutely enough unprovoked uh, incidents that are happening. You find um, uh, you find two um, Muslim men going on the street. Uh, you find uh, them being questioned or who you are. And uh, upon if they mention that they are Muslims, uh, you find them being roughed up, uh, being uh, uh, being uh, you know mugged, uh, being beaten up, and uh, 
um, and some of them even being killed. Um, we 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 are getting to know daily incidents. The the situation right now is that um, every day, uh, if you open a newspaper, uh, which is uh, covering these kind of uh, you know incidents, and you'll find that you know almost on a daily basis you're having these incidents where they are um, you know uh, picking up on Muslim men, asking, forcing them to say Jai Shri Ram, which is basically victory to uh, God Ram. Uh, and um, when someone wouldn't say that, uh, he there's been enough incidents of being uh, of them being lynched, of uh, being beaten up. Uh, there was this incident of an alim uh, who was going on a train where he was actually uh, pushed down the uh, running train. Uh, um, and alhamdulillah, he, um, he, he, he's safe. Uh, uh, but the thing is that they, it all happened because of this very um, aggressive uh, attitude of the Hindu nationalists that is right now you know, taking place in India. So, so it seems to me that Modi has taken over the um, apparatus of state. Um, uh, the institutions have all been eroded and uh, any concept of uh, a rule of law uh, in any meaningful way now d doesn't really exist. For the moment, that is what is appearing, even though there are laws that are being um, that are being uh, enacted as we speak. There was, um, there was a law that was being tabled just today um, in Rajasthan. Uh, um, which is called the anti-mob lynch law. Um, but the thing is that despite having these laws uh, in place, if the system itself uh, is has got its own inclinations uh, of being supportive to the um, to the majority majoritarians or the Hindu nationalists in this case, um, you wouldn't find much happening due to these laws. It's just effectively. Uh, the same case with the rape laws that India has, but uh, regardless of the laws, uh, India very much remains the rape capital of the world. Um, so, um, I mean, I even though there is laws, even though there has been attempts uh, from the judiciary to raise their voice against the spreading intolerance in the country, but very frankly speaking, um, you know, do you think that these laws are going to have an effect? Well, for the moment, uh, it doesn't seem so. In the long run, if they're uh, if they're able to do something um, and be able to um, positively implement the laws, then there may be a deterrent effect as a result of these laws. But really, um, just having the law does it uh, does it really make a difference? No, it doesn't. Jazakallah khair. You you paint a a very alarming picture, I suppose, of uh, the Modi government. And now let's turn to Kashmir. Uh, you are a regular visitor to Kashmir. You've uh, you've been there on a number of occasions. Um, uh, t tell us some more about Kashmir, its people, uh, its influences, uh, how you read uh, the current climate uh, Muslim Kashmiris uh, find themselves in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have indeed been to Kashmir uh, several times and... Uh, uh, I must say, in, in principle, if you talk about Kashmir itself as a place, then, uh, then um, you know, somebody who is based in the West, uh, and if he's been to Switzerland, then this is uh, the Switzerland of the East, uh, effectively. Um, when you talk about the topography of, uh, of this beautiful place. Um, so, uh, you know, the Mughal emperor, Jahangir, uh, he, when he went to Kashmir, he said, 
اگر فردوس بر روی زمین است همی است و همی است و همی است there is a heaven on earth it's here it's here it's here it's an absolutely beautiful place with beautiful people um, if somebody actually visits Kashmir uh, you know he's uh, this is going to be probably his the, the most memorable visit um, of his life um, uh, at least that's been the case for me um, and I've been there a few times and uh, met people. I've stayed there um, over periods of time. I've learned uh, learned from the people, and um, the the people, the sort of people you have there, absolutely um, unique kind of hospitality, um, unheard of. I've I've never seen such hospitality um, in in the Arab or among uh, the Ajam. It's a unique kind of hospitality. This is despite all the hardships uh, they go through. Uh, Allah has uh, given them this uh, beautiful characteristic that uh, regardless of where the guest is coming from, uh, they are so hospitable towards their guests. Um, so uh, the, the, the climate there in terms, of, uh, in terms of how the people are, in terms of the, you know, uh, they, you know you'll find uh, them uh, very Islamic, uh, uh, you know, you'll find... Uh, you know you'll find that women women and the men they are segregated women are mo- a lot of women uh, practice hijab even those who don't practice hijab they are in uh, modest dressing uh, which is shalwar kameez uh, and a dupatta and uh, and uh, the, the best part is which is very unique uh, when you look at the other uh, other uh, other states in india uh, is that every masjid has a maktab um, and every student uh, who goes to school uh, generally goes to the maktab before he goes to the school. And so the maktab is where you recite the Quran and uh, you go through uh, tafsir. So they have a dars quran at the maktab. Most most of the masajid, they have uh, dars quran happening at, uh, the, um, at the maktabs. What is also happening, this is again very unique to Kashmir, uh, and Kashmir being a non-Arab place, yes, this is uh, uh, significant that uh, you have uh, uh, a lot of institutions uh, that are there where people are learning the deen. Uh, uh, and we're talking not just about certain uh, durus that they're attending. We're talking about uh, proper study of the uh, of the text, of the classical texts. Um, I know of uh, enough such institutions that are, that are doing this amazing work there. Um, they're teaching people the uh, the nusus from the nusus and you'll be surprised that there are so many kashmiris now who speak fluent arabic uh, they they love to read in arabic they talk in arabic and um, it's a unique nature of the kashmiris that they love uh, they love to study they love to be educated you would be surprised that compared to um, most of the northern states in india um, we're talking about at all levels, basically in cities, in uh, towns, and even in villages. Uh, you you would you would go to a village and you find these people um, talking in Urdu. They they have multilingual abilities. They're talking Urdu, Kashmiri, and English as well. And uh, um, that is as a result of uh, the the um, their, their you know the the educational level there and the amount of efforts they've made uh, towards that. Um, so th- this is, I mean, in, in, you know, if you look at if you look at Kashmir in general, if you look at how Kashmir is and how you know how the Kashmiri experience is, it is unique, and they call it Kashmiriyat. And the Kashmir people, by nature, are very 
um, peaceful and uh, and they love to live in harmony. I mean, very much contrary to how it is being uh, portrayed. Uh, the Kashmir, there are a lot of Hindus who live in Kashmir. In fact, the, the Hindus, uh, the Hindu pundits who live in Kashmir, don't like to leave Kashmir. Uh, they 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 lo- love Kashmir. Uh, under no circumstances would they leave Kashmir and go to another, you know, migrate and resettle in another place. So, and they call it this as Kashmiriyat. Uh, they say this is our culture, this is our hospitality. Uh, you know, we we uh, we love uh, to host uh, people from other religions as well, they, as long as they come here and live with us in peace and harmony. I think I think what is pertinent and important at this stage to mention is, you know, what is happening right now in Kashmir, obviously. Uh, with the, the recent scraping of the Article 370. And um, you, you want to remember that basically the 370 is uh, is a sort of an instrument of accession that was signed by the Hindu leader or the Hindu king of uh, Kashmir. Um, and it was a temporary uh, instrument or a temporary contract taking place between Kashmir and India, um, which, would, uh, which would only be fi- finalized after a referendum um, between, uh, you know, referendum that would take place in Kashmir. Now, um, this is not just unique to Kashmir because there are at least, uh, if I'm not wrong, there are at least six states in India, uh, which are the, the eastern states in India, which includes uh, Nagaland uh, uh, and um, Manipur uh, and Meghalaya. And these states are also, uh, they also acceded to India uh, as a part of uh, the of a similar article, uh, so the Article 370 was not very uh, unique to Kashmir, and this only proves the fact that the 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 the, the Modi government went ahead and scraped uh, the Article 370 from Kashmir and not from the other uh, other states. Uh, it shows the, the attitude or the mentality that the Modi government has, because uh, regardless of whether the 370 was in place or not. Uh, the 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 central government um, was effectively still continuing to o- occupy Kashmir, and they uh, were the ones in power. They were the ones who um, who you know the, the police uh, was assigned from uh, from the central government. The army was being sent from the central government. You're talking about over five hundred thousand army um, being stationed there uh, at all times, and so. Um, what, what was it really that uh, that uh, the that actually led the government to take this move is nothing but uh, impunity and the the um, the uh, the goal of breaking the Muslims back they they want to uh, they want to uh, they want to break the azam or the resolve of the Muslims and um, for for the for, for India for the Indian Muslim remember the the Kashmir, within the context of India the Kashmir Muslim was unique. Um, uh, why is is it unique? Is because they they had been participating in in a struggle, uh, which was which had been going on for more than you know more than six decades now, which is about seven decades, and uh, they they had been consistent and firm, uh, and while they had remained on their aqidah and the deen, and they had only become stronger and stronger uh, when it comes to their deen, and so uh, by doing this the the Indian government really wanted to send a message across to all Muslims that, see, we can break the azam and the resolve of the most, uh, you know, the strongest uh, from you, from among you, and which is the Kashmiris. Uh, 
we will do what nobody else could do we will do what uh, sardar patel wanted to do and uh, sardar patel was the first home minister he was is known as the iron man of india he was responsible for uh, the accession of, of all the 500 princely states that india comprised of uh, at the time when the british had just um, departed india and um, and they say basically this was the uh, this was one work that Sardar Patel had left, and so we are doing what Sardar Patel uh, didn't do. Uh, and so, in effect, they're saying we are uniting India. We are telling the Muslims that uh, uh, that they need to know their place. They're telling the Muslims that you need to start realizing that this is uh, a Hindu India. This is one step toward moving towards uh, the Hindu Rashtra. Now, how does that happen? Is by uh, further taking uh, this one step beyond and by removing Article 35, uh, which was uh, w- which was a significant, um, uh, you know, p- a principle or a policy. And this law uh, effectively didn't, uh, uh, was the law that didn't allow any non-Kashmiri to buy any property in, uh, in Kashmir. So, um, so th- this is one of the reasons why the demographics of Kashmir remained almost the same uh, over the 75 years. But now with this happening, with the scraping of 370 and 35A, what happens is that they will now be able to uh, bring in um, you know, people from uh, elsewhere and be able to change the demographics of, uh, of Kashmir. Uh, this is one of the major fears that people, uh, people have. Um, so uh, the, for the for the for the for the Hindu nationalists, this is a, this is a major move um, for them. The, in their minds, this is basically uh, the second step. Uh, this is the second major blow to to the Muslims. The first was when the 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 Modi government was able to interfere with the Islamic law, which is uh, which is uh, the which is related to the talaq, which is uh, another well-known issue, which they interfered in and were able to actually enact a law on it by making uh, triple talaq uh, illegal. Um, and uh, the second was uh, the accession of uh, Kashmir. And you're, look, you're looking at another big major move that is probably going to happen uh, within, within, the, um, uh, within the, the next four years, within this current tenure of Modi. Uh, and that is the, uh, the building of the, uh, the Ram Mandir. That, that, is a, that is very much a possibility that could have, take place within uh, the next four years. Um, but coming back to Kashmir, um, this is how the 370 has. This is how the 370 has taken place. The scraping of 370 and its effects have taken place. And um, I must say, I must say that uh, uh, you know the kind of environment or the atmosphere right now that uh, is uh, that is developing in Kashmir is absolutely unbearable, very painful. Now, now, as you said, Kashmir has been under what we can call martial rule for uh, for a great number of years. Um, from your um, uh, personal experience, um, how does that play out uh, on the ground? You know, when I visited Kashmir, uh, I mean, I still remember there, there was this time when we were invited by uh, by this brother uh, for uh, for dinner, and um, d- dinner was uh, right after Aisha. And uh, it was about at uh, 8.30 or 9 uh, p.m. And, uh, and so I was there with my family and I had a brother who was there with me. He, his family and my family, we had um, like gone together to the brother's place. And um, it was a bit late by the time we were returning. It was about 10 p.m. Um, now, 
so on the way back uh, to home, uh, and this is all within the city, and we're talking about the capital. Uh, we were in uh, uh, the city, and uh, uh, it, it was dark, and we we, we found suddenly this uh, uh, man um, come onto the road. Uh, he's wearing uh, military overalls, and he's got this torch. He's uh, putting it on our faces. We we, we stop. And the next moment, uh, the next thing we see is the moment we roll down the windows is that we have a, a massive uh, uh, um, military gun on our faces, and uh, and it, it was it was a shock of my life for me. I had never seen this happening. Somebody put um, an AK-47 uh, on my face, and the moment he saw that there were children with us and our families were with us, he pulled back the gun. And he goes like, "Where are you going?" And we said, "See, we're coming back from um, uh, from uh, Azim or from a dinner party, and we're going back home. So you shouldn't be ba- uh, around here. And why did you not stop the moment I came onto the road?" And uh, we said, "Sorry, we we couldn't see. It was dark." And he said, uh, "Make sure you just reach home right now." And so this is this is this is when we didn't have this current atmosphere. We're talking about um in in a reality where everything was normal this was uh, this is the daily life that kashmiris go through um the, for them this was absolutely uh, this is absolutely normal it's a norm to be um uh, to be stopped by police to be uh, to be sent back home from uh, barricades uh, that the police uh, police have arbitrarily set up on the pathway you for example for of your work yes maybe you're going to the hospital and you've got you get this the military just put uh, arbitrary um you know barricade then you you can't go to the hospital do whatever you like yes there is uh, they um, you know there is no um way that you can go to these you know wherever you want to go basically this is the kind of environment they they have been going through but right now while we're talking about this current scenario uh, you know which has been taking place for the past 15 days and uh, i have a lot of people there and uh, um, i i know some very knowledgeable elmi brothers as well and um, the last they said is, see, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, they may just shut down everything. And so the reports that are coming in from there um, currently is uh, are, are not very uh, are not very optimistic. Uh, uh, you know, f- food is running out. Uh, they're not allowing chemist shops, you know, pharmacies to open. They're not allowing grocery sh- shops to open. Um, you know, m- most of the places eat salad didn't happen. Uh, wherever Eid Salah happened, that was under military, uh, you know, under the military's, uh, um, you know, uh, observation, and um, uh, and more, 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 most importantly, yes, they've stopped uh, Salah in most of the villages. So they've said, you go and pray home, no Salah in Jama'a. Can you imagine that's been happening right now for uh, the past um, uh, almost two weeks? Yes, so it's the eleventh day since the three seventy was actually scraped, and so so we're looking at actually uh, is unprecedented uh, enough people are being arrested i mean well have you heard from many of your um, contacts your friends uh, who are in kashmir not getting a lot of information but whatever is coming is not uh, is not very pleasing uh, every day uh, young boys are being arrested i'm also talking about boys as young as 10 and 11 being arrested and then being beaten up um, uh, and in in uh, in big numbers, we're talking about a village. They come, all young boys, just arrest them. They take them, keep them in the barracks for ten days, and then send them back uh, after beating them blue and black. And and this is this is obviously this is not something very uncommon. But right now, it's happening at a very large scale. Um, I mean, I must mention 
um, uh, you know, the, so for example, one of the other issues with Kashmir is uh, how they uh, how they uh, arrest uh, or control discontent. Yes, uh, they, they're very ruthless in that. Uh, the Indian military and the Indian government, the attitude they have is 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 absolutely uh, inhumane uh, and their barbaric attitude. And so, um, you know, the, the special institutions which uh, uh, you know which are not official, but yet they have a great degree of they, they have large powers that exist. Yes, and their only job is to eliminate dissenters and uh, possible militant. Uh, you know. Uh, militant uh, activists, yes, or militants, um, and uh, the institutions like that that exist. Uh, and if someone gets arrested by one of those institutions, um, it is very unlikely that he would come back uh, home. Uh, very rarely do such people come back home. They just go. It's a one-way ticket, and generally they're killed and uh, buried in uh, unmarked uh, graves. This is something very very common to Kashmir. Kashmir has uh, gone through uh, amazing. Uh, amounts of hardships. Allah has given them a lot of strength uh, to bear this. And uh, uh, but r- r- despite that, what, what we're going, to, what we're seeing right now is 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 a few a few scales, um, you know, bigger than what has been taking place so far. And we hear troubling reports that the Indian Army uses rape as a as a weapon, really, against uh, the Kashmiris. Absolutely, that is so true. And uh, I, I mean, I must say that uh, on an official basis, they've they have over tens of thousands uh, of uh, rape uh, incidents that have taken place over the uh, past several uh, uh, decades. And, uh, and this is just the official numbers. Uh, you know, in in cases of rapes, the the actual numbers are way beyond the uh, those who have come forward uh, and the and the killings and the arbitrary arrests and. And, and the intimidation. So, for example, I—I I, I mean, I personally—I uh, was told by one of these brothers who runs this uh, institute. Uh, um, I wouldn't be able to mention the name of the institute, but they mentioned that they were—they uh, they were asked by the by the police. They—they uh, they were, they were invited by the police, and they were given a warning that they need to stop these uh, uh, these halakat that they're doing. And the, the, all they were doing was teaching uh, teaching. In texts, texts. They were studying classical texts. They were studying Usul Fiqh. They were studying Tajweed. They were studying uh, Hadith, uh, and they were told that this is your last warning. We will, uh, we are not g- going to give you another chance. Yes, uh, either stop this um, or face our wrath. And um, and and we've had enough of these people. Elmi people generally they get arrested. They get beaten up. Um, I know this Sheikh uh, who was there. Um, and he's not even an activist like um, like others, but he's a knowledgeable person who has a good say. And uh, uh, and he, he he was picked up and he was picked up by uh, one of those institutions, uh, which which doesn't has an you know you, you know this reality where, for example, if you know the police has arrested you, so you know which police station that they're going to take you to, right? So you you would your family at least, even if you don't have a means to communicate with them, but they would know which. Police station. Uh, they they are expected uh, to take you to, um, but that that doesn't happen. There the, there's this institution that just picked them picked him up and uh, took him uh, to wherever they like. Yes, and uh, they kept him in for ten days and they beat him blue and black and uh, just on a suspicion. They believed that uh, he had uh, uh, he was connected to certain militants. This is uh, why they did this, and 
it is incidents such as these uh, i must say that actually push uh, many of the kashmiris to uh, to further uh, you know uh, become aggressive and uh, take a further hard line stance against india uh, many of the militants uh, of kashmiri origin they have had uh, incidents similar to these um they have been either been beaten up or their family members have been killed um incidents such as these are what uh, trigger uh, you know uh, their uh, transition into uh, you know from from uh, you know from protests and peaceful protests to you know to violent protests and militancy uh, this is something that uh, again and again many um, indian thinkers have uh, you know um, uh, mentioned but uh, despite that the in the, the the hindu uh, the 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 hindutva government the hindutva modi government has actually uh, despite this uh, this issue they have gone ahead and decided to further curb all sorts of freedoms all sorts of uh, uh, rights that people have in in kashmir and uh, this obviously uh, is not going to play well because this is very likely not going to have positive uh, yeah any positive coming out of it uh, the repercussions are going to not going to be good enough uh, papers are you know uh, enough articles are being written about this a lot of people are going uh, and visiting there and writing about it there was just a recent article written by a team that visited there and they said um, it is uh, the uh, people are absolutely angry the anger is simmering and uh, you know uh, the they're saying that this is this there's going to be a big fallout out, out of this uh, people are you know are saying this is uh, arya par uh, that's what what says is uh, you know basically there is no more options left uh, either it is um, you know a, i wouldn't use a translation my way or the highway but i would say basically they're saying that this is the last of it yes they are ready to die um, in 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 the in their cause uh, and they will struggle until uh, until they die uh, or they become successful this is uh, what the kashmiri uh, people are saying i thank uh, fadel for his uh, time today jazakallah khair brother and um, may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you and uh, keep uh, the muslims in kashmir um, uh, safe and uh, we uh, we keep you of course in in our duas and uh, we pray that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings some ease after this uh, hardship as always if you wish to contact the show you can contact us on uh, uh, thinking underscore muslim on twitter uh, or you may uh, contact me through my article on uh, medium every week I have a supplementary article uh, which may go into some more depth uh, on the subject and uh, you can leave a comment uh, below the article. But until next week, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakat. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.